I'm Alex Delay, and this is Vision Vibes, the podcast that introduces you to the leaders and visionaries who are changing our world. This story was originally broadcast as part of NHK World Japan's in-depth interview series, Direct Talk. Before we get to today's guest, tell me, are you the type of person who would rather be alone to recharge? Or do you feel energized when you're with other people? If you're in the second group, then recent lockdown measures to prevent the spread of coronavirus have probably taken a toll on you. Even when we understand the reasoning behind social distancing and isolation, solitude can have profound consequences for our physical and mental health. Luckily, isolation isn't unique to the coronavirus, which means we have experts we can turn to for advice on how to cope. One such expert is Chris Hadfield, former commander of the International Space Station. Chris spent 166 days in extreme isolation, orbiting the planet in a ship that's barely larger than a football field. Is it possible to thrive despite being stuck in a confined space with the same people for so long? Let's find out what Chris had to say. Hi,、uh, I'm Chris Hadfield. I've, I've spent a little time self-isolating on board a spaceship. How are you doing? Mental health issues are becoming a bigger concern as the pandemic lockdown continues across the globe. We talked to an expert during these times of social distancing and asked him about his perspective on this unusual period. Chris Hadfield is a former astronaut and commander of the International Space Station, and a Canadian superstar. This is Major Tom to ground control. I've left forevermore. He was able to show us what's it like to live in space through social media. His video on self-isolation went viral when the world went into lockdown earlier this year. We asked him more about how he dealt with seclusion on the ISS and in how he is coping with sequestering during this pandemic. All of us around the globe came to realize that this pandemic is going to last for much longer than we expected. What should we do now? The coronavirus、uh, has been a wicked thing for the world, and it's really messed up our normal way of life. Everything's been sort of disrupted in order to try and minimize the effects of this very serious pandemic. So, how do you deal with it? How do you deal with it at the start? But maybe even more importantly, how do you deal with it now? And I think the primary thing is still just as important as it always has been, and that is to understand the actual danger. In 2001, Hadfield had his first spacewalk and experienced an accident. A drop of fluid went into his eye, and it blocked his vision in zero gravity. And there I was, holding on to the outside of a spaceship, and I was struck blind in both eyes. And I didn't know why, and I didn't know how long it was going to last. So. What would you do? And there's lots of reasons to panic. I think under those circumstances, or at least to be afraid. But I wasn't just anybody. 
in those circumstances. I knew everything about my spacesuit. I knew how all of the systems worked. I knew how the air purification system worked. I understood the physiology of what was happening to my own body. Okay, so I can't see. I've lost one of my five senses for a bit. Okay, I can still breathe, I can still hear. Now I need to just deal with the actual reality of what's happening. I wasn't afraid at all. And after a while, my eyes teared enough and I flushed the oxygen out of the suit so that my vision cleared. I didn't let fear overcome me, but it was because I understood the danger I had practiced for it. I had things that I could do. I had a purpose to what I was trying to accomplish. And I think that applies to a lot of things in life. Don't let uneducated fear dictate your actions and your reactions and the shape of your own life. The longest time you've spent in space was over five months. Chris, how did you approach that mentally? maybe the more important long-term thing, how do you now make this part of your life? You, you can't just be in love with your old life and go, oh, this has messed up my life. That's not, that's not the truth. This is your life. It's just existing under different circumstances. And so it's up to you completely to decide how you are going to adjust your pattern to fit into this new normal, this new reality. Imagine if you'd just been launched to a spaceship and now you open up the hatch and you float in into the space station. You are now as physically isolated and in as dangerous a place as any human being has ever been. And yet it's totally up to you how you're gonna live there. If you say, well, I still wanna I don't know, go to the McDonald's and, and go to the movie theater and uh, see my grandma every week, then you're going to hate your existence. But if instead you recognize, okay, this is the new normal, and now I need to build a life for myself and my family and my work within this new normal, don't resent the reality of the world and the life around you. There are beautiful, undeniable things happening around you. And it's easy to get mired in the differences, but if you can really relish the beautiful things that are happening and make an effort to, to highlight them to yourself and celebrate them personally and with your family, then the new normal, I think, uh, becomes a little, little easier to, uh, to accept. And to me, that pattern, whether you're going to live on a spaceship or whether you're going to uh, make it through a, a global pandemic, the rules are essentially the same. I'm curious, did you ever get lonely being isolated in a confined space for so long? I grew up on a farm uh, out in the countryside. I had really no neighbors, you know, just our immediate family and work. And yet later in life, I've lived in cities. I've never met a lonely farmer. The loneliest people I've ever met live in the middle of cities. So it's not, it's not physical isolation that leads to feelings of loneliness and being disconnected. I think it's a lack of self-worth. And to me then, how do you address that? Well, give yourself purpose. If you're on board a spaceship, 
you can float to the window and see wonders, see the universe, see the world pouring by at eight kilometers a second, watch a sunrise or a sunset every 46 minutes. Or you could lock yourself in your quarters and go, man, I'm inside an aluminum can and I'm separated from my family and there's nobody here to tell me that anything I'm doing is worthwhile. And both of those are totally personal choices. So I, I try and always focus on the purpose of what's happening, exalt in the delight and the, and the pleasures of what's around me. You have to somehow recognize that your prizes and rewards are internal. Let's say it's an expedition to the South Pole or the top of Mount Everest or to the top of Mount Fuji or to whatever, the bottom of the ocean. You're going to need equipment, but you're also going to need a little different attitude. And a large part of expeditionary behavior is putting the purpose and the goal ahead of yourself. And as an astronaut for the entire 21 years, because of the danger and the complexity, you have to put mission ahead of self. And that's what expeditionary behavior is about. And think about your actions. If you say, hey, I'm just going to, I don't know, take the, uh, the snowmobile out for a joyride and go ripping around in the snowmobile. If you break the snowmobile, you have risked the lives of everybody else in the expedition because you were just pursuing something personal. So learning and, and cementing not only in your ideas, but in your own values and behaviors that mission and group success is more important than self. Uh, when I was a little kid, uh, I think like a lot of little kids, I read comic books, you know, anime and, and, uh, and then science fiction books. And all those things did was allow me to imagine things beyond my reality. Hadfield's imagination was becoming a reality before his very own eyes just prior to turning 10. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. It was as if you had been reading X-Men comics and then you went back to your house and you looked out the window and X-Men went by. You're like, this is real? This is an actual thing? This is something that can happen? Well, shoot, I want to be part of that. It was the, the beautiful joining of fantasy and reality and permission to imagine myself doing those things, but then also a compulsion and an imperative to start changing who I was, to start giving myself new skills so that I could maybe be trusted to fly a spaceship someday. Hadfield studied engineering and aviation and became the top test pilot among his peers. It took him 26 years to finally reach space. In the back of my brain, I was actually a little bit worried. What if I get there after all of this work and I don't like it? You know? But it was better than I dreamed it would be. The combination of, of weightlessness, which is just magic, you know, someone taps you on the top of the head and says, you can fly. You know, it's just joyous. And with the whole world pouring past, going around the world 16 times a day. So you get to see the world like nobody's ever seen it. It's so instructional and beautiful. And you're doing something really hard, but you're doing it well. 
because of all that work you did, all that preparation that you did. That's a really intoxicating combination of competence, of beauty, and of magic all at the same time. It, uh, it's definitely worth the work and worth the trip. If you get a chance to fly in space, go. Today, Hadfield is working with the Open Lunar Foundation to build human settlement on the moon. I think this is the moment in history where we start to settle the moon. I live in the Americas, in Canada, in North America. There were no human beings here up until about 18,000 years ago. But what made those shifts in human habitation and opportunity happen was technology. Someone invented a ship or the ability to control fire or the ability to store food or to make protective clothing. And suddenly we could get to a place that we'd never been before and make it part of human normal. And so the real question is, where is our technology good enough now that we can live someplace we've never lived before? If we are going to live on the moon, what will our society look like? This is a new opportunity to choose. How do we want the moon to be set up? It's important. So whose laws are we going to use on the moon? And if we don't think about it, then we could just have a little China on the moon, a little America on the moon, a little Russia on the moon, a little India on the moon. We could just import the historical strictures that confine us right now, sort of like a a photocopy of us in time and just wrap that on the moon. And we could do that. And that may be what happens, but I think it would be infinitely regrettable. A terrific example is the International Space Station. We've been living there for 20 years away from the Earth with people from dozens of different countries. We haven't had a fight. We haven't had a war. We haven't needed a police force. We've been living with an entirely separate set of laws, the International Crew Code of Conduct, on the space station than any country on Earth, and it's worked. All of the discoveries about the universe and the discoveries about the world that have come from that, they come from a shift of self, uh, of perspective, of mental attitude, and of the behaviors that come from that. Prior to the pandemic, I marveled regularly at, at how thin the veneer of civilization is on top of the, the brutal nature of, of life itself. But whenever something globally disruptive happens, like a, a world war or a pandemic or a financial markets crash or something, that shouldn't be a surprise. It's, that's normal, that happens. And it's, it's always gonna be messy and it's never been perfect. Uh, this is just our reality. But uh, I think it's up to each one of us to decide and find a way through it. The motto I live by is that the greatest antidote for fear is competence. If you're afraid of something, it's probably because you're not ready for it to happen. You can't be ready for everything, but you can be ready for most of the things in life that give you fear. Change who you are to be able to deal with the realities of life. It allows you to be relaxed and comfortable. I don't want to be all tensed up and scared all the time. I would much rather go on through life um, being ready for the things that are likely to happen. It allows you to notice the beauty and the nuance around you. The greatest 
the greatest antidote for fear is competence. The greatest antidote for fear is competence. Chris is suggesting that while we can't control everything that happens to us, we can control how we react. The more we cultivate our knowledge of the world around us, the less scary our world becomes. There's of course a difference between Chris, who chose to go to space, and the rest of us, who are being asked to stay isolated. Yet we can all draw inspiration from his attitude toward life. As long as we keep learning and adapting to the fullest of our abilities, even in the most hostile environments, we'll eventually find beauty and a sense of purpose. Listening to Chris has given me hope. Rather than ruminate over the things I can't do in isolation, I'll focus my energy on the things I can do. If you're interested, perhaps we can even do so together. That's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. You can find the transcript as well as our other stories on the NHK World website. I've been Alex Stille. Do join us again next time for more mind-expanding insights from inspiring people on Vision Vibes.